you know, you buy like a $5 t-shirt and you know that there is a 10-year-old child labor worker in Bangladesh. What if money is beautiful? If you can redefine what money can do, you can redefine the financial systems. There's nothing new under the sun, but there are new suns. Honestly, it's something that keeps me up at night. <laughs> I'm good if I was to be really honest. Welcome to NFT Stees, a weekly podcast that delves into NFTs, culture, crypto, and all things Web3. I'm Ray, head of markets at Cointelegraph, and my co-host Alyssa Exposito is a freelance writer in all things blockchain, Web3, and NFTs. Each week we bring on the brightest minds and the busiest builders to discuss the evolution of crypto, art, and new trends emerging in the Web3 space. Good morning, good afternoon, hello, hello everyone. Hey Alyssa, how's it going? It's going well. Ray, how's it going? Yeah, life is good. All right. So everyone, this is NFT Steez, and today we are going to be speaking with Mashiat Lurmana. She is the NFT ecosystem lead at Cello Foundation. Cello Foundation is a nonprofit organization supporting the development of Cello, which is a carbon negative permissionless layer one blockchain with a rich ecosystem of global partners building Web3 applications that help create a more inclusive global financial system. She is also part of the strategy research and innovation team where she helps explore crypto use cases that can catalyze financial access for the unbanked and undeserved. Where she isn't focused on NFTs and wallets, she's working on Drawer Magazine, a digital multimedia platform and publication for South Asian Americans. Hello, Mashiat. How's it going? Hey, hi, Alyssa. How's it going? Um, so excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I'm so glad that you are here. And we did have a lovely chat a couple of months back, um, and I was so excited to to talk to you because we don't really see a lot of people working within this space. So first thing first, can you briefly explain to us, uh, Mash, what regenerative finance, refi, is and its present role in today's current landscape? Yeah, for sure. Um, so the way that like at Cello and even like I kind of think about refi is that it's this movement where like mission driven communities are empowered um, with Web3 technology or any technology to redefine the current financial like systems and infrastructures that we have in place. And a lot of that comes from even like the way that we transact with our world on a daily basis is that as much as like you know as much as we we may be aware or unaware like it's it's very highly extractive and to some and and we really don't really have much choice but to transact in a system like this and um yeah like even from the things that you know we buy like from the store like you know you buy like a five dollar t-shirt and you know that there is a 10 year old child labor worker in bangladesh um who probably got paid like 70 cents for it right and and that enables you to buy like a $5 t-shirt from H&M. And like, I think these kind of systems, like we've kind of realized are no longer working for us and no longer exploitative. Yeah. yeah, are extremely extractive and exploitative. And um, what we really want to do at Cello is basically look at the way um, as to how we can create new systems and new financial infrastructure that can create more accessibility, create more equitable accessibility um stabilize like our climate our, bi our biodiversity and um essentially allow uh other projects um to also take part um and propagate more prosperity for everyone so 
the way that we think about refi, like I think a lot of times like refi is very synonymous with climate. And yes, of course, climate is a huge part of it. Like land, um, our land, our earth is our biggest asset. And it basically is what allows us to do what we do. It it takes care of us and thereby there is a responsibility upon us to take care of it, too. Um, but we also wanted to extend that definition from climate to actually creating more tangible um and accessible use cases um, in where people can plug in and, and users around the world can plug in to take ownership uh, of their own prosperity. And so when we think about refi, we're thinking about it as a way as, okay, like how do we how do we combat climate change? How do we protect like local and global ecosystems and, and biodiversity? And at the same time, how do we develop new financial models and systems that ensure the prosperity for everyone? So it's very much a threefold process if I was to really condense like the definition of refi of fellow. Yeah, it seems like you're triangulating a few things with the whole concept of regenerative, which is such a powerful word. And when I hear you say um, we're trying to, you know, establish and build out new models, it reminds me of this uh, quote from Octavia Butler that uh, that says um, there are there's nothing new under the sun, but there are new suns, and I think that's a very important thing when we when we talk about uh, you know cryptocurrency, blockchain, Web three is that a lot of times when there are when there is something that's very successful, we tend to kind of almost you know run down that model like your favorite song like over and over and over again, as opposed to thinking of different ways and different perspectives that. It, it would involve us living and almost stepping into someone else's shoes. And what I've realized about Cello, you know, going through um, the website and when I first came about it, I think about maybe a year and a half ago, um, it does have such an acute awareness of like the lens in which the world views wealth, prosperity. And on the website, it was like such a beautiful tag uh, question that says, what what if money is beautiful? Um, you know, what if it's like this attractive, beautiful thing, which immediately made me think of the dynamic uh, between appearing attractive and abundant rather than like something that's dirty or scarce. Um, so can you elaborate on that approach to refi models, especially over time? And how may it shift our lens and perspective on like what money can actually represent for it's, you know, the people around the world. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that's also what really attracted me to Cello as well. I've been in the crypto space for a while now. Um, definitely not like wouldn't consider myself a super veteran, but been here since like 2017. And it's been really interesting to see like um, just the evolution of the ethos and also the focus of the industry, right? Like when, when we started, um, there was such like strong libertarian, you know, values. And and then like in 2020, like we've seen this like influx of DeFi and TradFi and whales. And and for me personally, like that was that was a little hard because it, it was just like, oh, well, like what does our ecosystem stand for? And like, is it really all about like, you know, TBL and stuff like that? And so when I came across Cello, um, what really attracted to me was the purpose of Cello. I mean, it's a very intentional ecosystem and um, it is an ecosystem that values around creating unique purpose. 
Um, and so when we think about like the tagline, what if money is beautiful, it ties back to refi in the sense like if you can redefine what money can do, you can redefine the financial systems and you can um, redefine and recreate new financial systems that allow for sovereignty, that allow for accessibility and that allow for prosperity for everyone and for every stakeholder at every level. I think that that's really what drives all of us um, within the Cello Foundation is that we want to create infrastructure we want to create products, we want to create educational pieces, and even work with regulation, regulatory bodies and policymakers to create these new financial systems and ensure their mass adoption across the world. Um, so I, you know, I'll give a little kind of spiel about Cello for those of you who don't know. Um, we are a permissionless carbon negative layer one protocol. Um, and we essentially started off uh, working within the mobile payments uh, track. And so we really realized that in order for um, cryptocurrency to take off and to make the impact that it was originally intended to do, we wanted to target um, the communities that needed it the most. And so we have a really rich and diverse ecosystem around 158 countries. Um, we have eco-leads and ecosystems across Africa, LATAM, Southeast Asia, and primarily these ecosystems and, and uh, you know, they transact using their mobile phone. And so um, the way in which we really designed our protocol um, is making sure that it is mobile first optimized, um, making sure that it is um, very accessible. Um, we have a native wallet called Valora that is very mobile first and you basically just need your phone number to create your wallet. You don't need any other sort of information. Um, and then most importantly, like, you know, we wanted to ensure that people had access to these um, to these new financial systems. And so a big part of our protocol is also Mento stable assets. So these are basically stable assets that are governed by the Mento protocol. We currently have three stable assets that are in circulation. So we have CUSD, the Celo dollar, the Celo euro and the Celo real in Brazil that basically allows anyone to access these assets and, and enables them to get onboarded and use these cryptocurrencies. So I think like we've been doing refi even before refi itself, you know, like we've been really targeting communities that um, need access um, to new banking systems. They need access and they need sovereignty because they don't, because they're the, the people in their situations aren't able to get credit scores or they're not able to get documents that are able, that enables them to open up bank accounts. And so we've been working at solving um, this problem. And one of the questions that really inspire us, again, to create these new models is how do we make money beautiful? And how and and we found out that, you know, since the advent of the ERC-20 token and these programmable tokens, we can actually create programmable models that that ensure prosperity for everyone at at each level of the of the new financial system. Some of the ways in which we are really looking at like refi, right? Um, I mean, like it's uh, it's UBI, like universal basic income is a huge use case on top of Celo. Um, I urge everyone to check out like Impact Market. Um, they are essentially like a donation platform um, that enables anyone to directly and uh, donate uh, to beneficiaries in a decentralized manner. And so far, there has been over $3.5 million like donated to over 38,000 beneficiaries all over the world. So they are a pretty big project like on our ecosystem. Um, we do a lot of pilots. Um, I recently like this year did a pilot in Kenya where we looked at like under collateralized loans um, to basically uh, farmers um, in Kenyan farms and and they were able to basically access um, 
sell like CUSD loans um, and receive them in Kenyan shillings on their mobile phones. So just as you would request amazing and pay our Mshwari, right? So these are kind of the models that we're looking at designing. Um, how do we, th- these are the ways in which we're actually thinking about like, okay, how do you abstract the financial system enough to make it accessible to folks who don't have access to traditional banking systems and give and empower them um, to basically take control of their own prosperity in these regions. Um, so yeah, uh, that's a little bit uh, of a sneak peek or a teaser into like, you know, kind of the the refi models that we're working, working at throughout like DeFi climate NFTs. Okay, so correct me if I'm wrong, um, aside from like building financial infrastructure in places that don't have it, I kind of had assumed that refi was also about being kind of like carbon neutral and environmentally friendly. So can you speak a little bit to that? And do you have any current examples of, I guess, refi that in opinion have kind of met their objectives outside of spreading awareness? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, So, you know, at I mean, we've been carbon neutral, like from the start. Um, So since we ever launched our mainnet and um, the way in which we're carbon neutral is that like a percentage of our block rewards like automatically offsets like all gas emissions. Um, But at the start of last year, we also launched the Climate Collective. So this is a group within the Celo ecosystem that nurtures um, climate projects on top of Celo and uh, so far, uh, last month, we actually launched Toucan Protocol on top of Celo, which essentially like tokenizes like carbon credits and and ensures more transparency and li- liquidity in the carbon market. So um, to give a little bit of a refresher, right, like a lot of the climate aspect of like refi and the problems that we're trying to solve with Web3 in the climate market is that um, the voluntary carbon market is extremely illiquid. There is a lot of brokers in place that make it very difficult to price carbon credits um, efficiently and um, fairly. And on top of that, like it's um, it's also very hard to determine the quality of your carbon credits itself. And so the Climate Collective is essentially tackling all of these problems by using Web3 technology to bring on projects that are solving at the intersection of this illiquid, inefficient, lack of transparent market. Some of the really cool projects, um, you know, that that I mentioned, like we have Toucan Protocol, so they just launched their NCT token on top of Celo. Flow Carbon um, is another protocol that is also launching exclusively on Celo, and they are also tokenizing high quality carbon credit to ensure, like, again, better liquidity and efficiency within the voluntary carbon market. Um, so they'll be they'll be launching soon. We have uh, from the from the Celo NFT side, like we have Steward. And so Steward is um, a dynamic NFT project that essentially is launching dynamic NFTs. And uh, we basically hope to use these dynamic NFTs that will change as you do more on chain climate actions, but at the same time also preserve like different ecosystems. Um, and then so far since mainnet, like uh, through all of the transactions um, that we've had on the network, um, we've offset around uh, 60,000 tons of uh, carbon. And all of those are public on projectren.io, which tracks um, the entire network's carbon emissions. And how does that work? Because I remember KlimaDAO had a similar thing where they were purchasing carbon credits, but then I, I think because of, you know, like their staking model, which was auto-compounding at super high APY, uh, the project was kind of not sustainable. But can you kind of briefly explain um, how does 
Like, what is the actual process of buying carbon credits and how is that a green initiative? I'm not the most technical person, so I apologize for that. Um, I think the way that we really work on that is that a percentage of our EPOC rewards that come from like the, the once like a block is finalized on our network goes towards Project Ren, which essentially like sources these high quality um, carbon credits from like certified carbon projects or certified like suppliers. Um, but on top of that, like part of part of that, right, like making sure that it's sustainable is why we like brought on Toucan and Flow as well, because they're the ones who have access um, to more high quality suppliers as well. And that is going to ensure like better sustainability, better efficiency and more importantly, better transparency, because one of the biggest things that we've realized and as working closely with the Climate Collective is that MRV within the carbon market is a big issue. Um, so developing more transparent monitoring, reporting and verification systems is also super top of mind for Zello. And, and that is also one of the core infrastructure, carbon core inf- carbon infrastructure pieces that we're that we're working on um, so that we can make sure that from a holistic standpoint, um, our carbon offset initiative um, is green um, and that that is verifiable on chain as well. Okay, so Cello is is it a proof of state network? And the thing that you were saying earlier about microloans, you know, financial access in Kenya and other places, that kind of reminds me of Dr. Yunus, who won the Nobel Prize for the microloans project with, uh, I think it's like Grameen Bank, I think. Yeah, I I love. I mean, so I'm from Bangladesh, and so like microfinance is huge because like you know Dr. Yunus like won the Nobel Prize. Um, and I also actually did my like economics dissertation in college on like uh, Grameen and like MFIs and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so what's the question to like kind of elaborate more on the on the microloan pilot that we that we did? So I was touching back on that because it reminded me of that project. But then I was kind of wondering, and I think that this is probably where we'll kind of segue to as um, as like the next part of our conversation. But I was kind of wondering what is the connection between that microloan financial infrastructure, which is green because of the carbon credits purchasing uh, NFTs. Yeah. So um, I guess like for me, I, yeah, I can go a little bit in history as to how I joined Cello and how like NFTs came to be at Cello. So like I joined Cello a year and a half ago as part of this new team called the Research Strategy and Innovation Team. And so the whole goal of that team was to essentially identify um, new innovative use cases on top of Cello, DeFi, NFTs, and then conduct pilots um, within our ecosystems around the world and essentially come up with a scalable product, right, that we could issue out to like builders within our ecosystem or that we could build ourselves natively on top of the protocol. Um, When I first joined Cello, a lot of the work that I was doing was DeFi oriented, and um, I worked really closely with um, our head of new head of strategy, Nikhil Raghavera, who actually came up with the microloans project. Um, on like a lot of DeFi research and 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 what kind of our ecosystem needs to um, build out a strong DeFi um, DeFi network um, of protocols and stuff like that. Um, as that kind of as DeFi for the people, which is our DeFi ecosystem um, that took off, you know, there was this increasing sort of um, opportunity looking into NFTs and specifically like looking into how do we create more intentional, purposeful NFT projects on top of Cello. Like, we're not really here for shilling, you know, floor prices, and we're not really here for 
as much as I love Snoop, you know, like um, we're not really here for for the Snoops um, or, you know, all the folks who are just here for the clout. So how do we actually create NFT projects that not only are purposeful and impactful, right, and impactful on their own and are doing social good on their own, but are also composable? Um, a big part of a, of creating a robust ecosystem, and, and that's kind of part of my job, is like looking at, okay, how does the NFT ecosystem work with the DeFi ecosystems on top of Celo? How do you actually create more circular utility models as well within the Celo ecosystem and beyond the Celo ecosystem? So these can translate to like on other EVM chains as well. And so when we think about... Uh, doing DeFi, doing NFTs on solo composability is a big aspect that we look at. Um, and so, yes, like the, the micro loans piece hasn't fully fit in into like the NFTs piece yet. Um, but there are definitely some really cool projects within the DeFi ecosystem that are working with NFTs. So I highly encourage folks to check out Masa Finance. They're working with soul bound NFTs. And essentially, like these NFTs um, work as your credit scoring and your reputation score. And so you can essentially use these SBTs to gain access to different pools on other protocols. Um, this serves as your reputation score. So you can use this as your collateral when you want to borrow against a liquidity pool. These are some of the use cases that, you know, really that are uh, really excite me because it's it's working within the intersection of NFTs and DeFi. And we have definitely proved out some of the utilities of DeFi, um, which allows for more long term utility for NFTs itself. Um, I think some other cool things um, that we are thinking about are like proof of impact. If we're all about refi and, you know, a big part of refi is making sure that you can at least use your impact as part of your reputation as well. And how do you put your impact on chain and how can that be visually represented? Dynamic NFTs, as I've mentioned through Steward, are a really cool um, infrastructure piece that we're also looking at. Um, we want NFTs to be engaging, we want them to be interactive, and we want them to basically be a real-time representation of your on-chain action. And um, this is how we're kind of capturing that by supporting projects that are kind of on that forefront of um, innovation and, and that are on the forefront of composability between NFTs and DeFi. Can you explain a little bit more about the composability um, aspect of NFTs? And when you, you were discussing um, dynamic NFTs, this isn't to say that it's like dynamic rarity. It's almost like a blockchain resume of sorts. Yeah, there are many ways to think about like composability. I think um, in DeFi, like composability has been really strongly proven out because you can have uh, you can essentially like, you know, stake your die or stake your ETH and like Lido and then put that on another protocol and then access yields from another protocol. I mean, yield farming is the best case um, for DeFi composability, I think, or yield farming aggregation is like the best case for um, DeFi composability. Um, when we thinking about NFT composability, I mean, there's like composability of the NFT itself, right? So think about like you're part of different communities, like you're part you you hold like a nouns, right? Um, you hold a World of Women's NFT and then you hold like um, maybe a Vorte or maybe a Crypto Coven, right? And you're part of all of these different communities and you're a contributor to all of these different communities too. Um, well, how do you kind of, again, like track that as a resume, right? Maybe you can create almost like a super NFT that um, evolves as every time you do like an on-chain contribution to these different DAOs and to these different NFT communities. Um, and that super NFT has like unlocks different components or even different almost like wearables, right? Like um, from like these other these 
three different collections, like the Nouns collection, the World of Women collection, and um, the Crypto Coven collection. And then you basically have an NFT that has like different components from all these different collection. And that also changes like as you become a super contributor in the Nouns DAO or you become a super contributor in the World of Women DAO. And I think like rarity can definitely fit in, like you maybe unlock more rareable components on your resume NFT. Um, So yeah, that's definitely a use case itself. Like the NFT itself is composable and dynamic. Right. And then at the same time, like when we think about composability, we think about like composable protocols, uh, like similar to DeFi composability, like can my NFT unlock access to other NFT platforms? Right. Can I wrap my NFT and then like stake it in a DeFi protocol and earn rewards or can I use my NFT across other chains? Um, So we're thinking from that aspect as well, from the from the composable infrastructure perspective. SBTs um, essentially are like one use case where we see like NFTs being able to unlock composability across DeFi protocols specifically. Nash, I know when we spoke a bit ago, you had mentioned that in college you were very active with a blockchain cryptocurrency club. And I felt that was great to hear because um, now you're starting to see institutions really recognize the importance and the awareness and education of the sector especially mm-hmm. um, within, um, you know, college. And, and I mean, we have so many users in the space that are still in college or thinking of, you know, maybe not even finishing. But how have you found that um, perhaps refi models in the way that you discuss it with people have aided the overall accessibility or, you know, that mind, uh, that perspective shift in mindset? for for people to see blockchain as something that's not so scary. I think with refi as I mentioned like there are so many like when Acela is working towards a refi model and you know it sounds really like nice and and great right from like a lofty standpoint. yeah really lofty and fluffy and warm um which it is um but at the I hate it like there 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 is so much work right cuz it's you're basically redefining a financial structure that has worked for for years and is still continuing to work. And that means like going through all of these different layers, Um, you know, as I mentioned, like there's the protocol layer, infrastructure layer, like regulatory layer. There is the currency layer, like the the stable asset layer. Right. And so I, I guess I'll start with like the stable asset piece. Like while I was doing like a lot of user research, like when I first started off at Celo, um, you know, Celo, as I like we started off as a, a payment, a, my, a mobile crypto payments company and um one of the key use cases that we really wanted that that Angelo, who is like the pilot king at Cello, um, I'll, I'll drop his uh, at below. But um, he basically did a microwork pilot in where people did like small data annotation tasks and, and we paid them in CUSD. And um, through that research, you know, we found out that like being able to hold uh, mental stable assets and being able to be a part of a system that allows for equitable access to like stable assets uh, that are backed by cryptographic protocols um, essentially helped folks um, recognize um, the value of, of holding crypto itself. Like, I think one thing, it, obviously, it's really important to have like off ramps and on ramps. Right. But at the same time, like being able to provide them with that decentralized security um, at the back end um, really helped pe- people shift their habits um, as to how they they approached money and how they thought about money. You know, it also incentivized people to save more. With any sort of technology, um, there is almost like an inflection point that you have to reach before you experience like exponential adoption. 
Um, but some of the ways in which we're really seeing refi um, kind of, sh- we're really seeing that from these different layers, like refi is actually helping folks change the way they even relate to money itself and change their goals with money. Um, so for example, like um, when we did like the microloans pilot, right, in, in Nairobi, um, one thing that we did before we even gave out the microloans was just like a loan officer in a bank, we sat down with every um, farmer at the Kenyan farm and we kind of went through as to like, okay, like this is how much you want to borrow. Well, this is how much you're going to have to pay back, you know, and you have the option of either paying, paying it back by yourself or you have the option to essentially like have the employee because it was um, the collateral was like the trust that the farmer had with the employer and the employer was basically the source of the funds. You know, so it was an employer based lending model with under collateralized loans for farmers. And so, you know, like um, you can either have like the employer basically garnish your wages like every month automatically or you can pay back on your uh, payback like every month by yourself. And this is how much you're going to have left. And that dramatically also changed like the behavior of like how much people took out uh, finally from uh, from the protocol. So the protocol that we used on the back end was Moolah, um, which is a lending protocol on top of Sela. And so we really recognize that like by creating more accessible um, systems um, and providing that transparency, it allowed people to kind of not only get educated about personal finance, which is something mm-hmm. that I believe should be taught <laughs> At like the at level. middle school, high school, middle school for sure. I mean, I'm still learning myself. Yeah, is hard, <laughs> but at the same time, like it also changed um the behaviors that they had, right? And and uh, allowed them to basically reassess um the way that their their financial goals and what was what was realistically feasible and plan for that. And so this is kind of what happens when you're able to create models and and do pilots that provide these insights um, with these underserved communities. Um, I think, yes, there is like sometimes I I feel like, you know, us from the West, we want to come from a We want to come from like a savior standpoint. Um, But this is more about like this is less about being a savior and more about recognizing that like everyone deserves equitable access. Exactly. Courses, uh, and this is, this should be one of the way. And and within the U.S. and Canada itself, there are there are communities without access to financial uh, education and resources, and this should be the case um, for everywhere. And so that's why you know these these regenerative financial systems um, and doing these regenerative pilots itself um, are super insightful for us because they give us better understanding of the personas, and and in the main t- same time, they kind of educate. Um, they educate our users as well on how they can make the best decisions and they can take ownership of their own um, financial journey. A hundred percent. I think it's um, really powerful once you give someone the autonomy and the agency to perhaps like not only get access and inclusivity to something like money and then what it is to have wealth and build those uh, resources is is so powerful because now um you know, you're no longer having to rely on uh, on something or someone to tell you what's best for you. But at the same time, you know, Ray and I were talking the other day and he said something. He speaks very uh, artistically about finance and um, economics, which it's almost like poetry. And he's like, well, because uh, he believes it's art. Right. And, And when you say like when people have the the education and the awareness to now be influenced in a way where they're they're making better decisions and more empowered decisions. 
it is is so true because we are all like anything with finance does have to do so much with our emotions and it's almost like that's just the missing piece like how it's that 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 in between middle sector of getting people to be like hey this is something that's very beneficial but now how do we actually like get that that layer of education into them so can you walk through some of the more impactful ways that you've seen NFTs presently and what you think in the future will be for NFTs used for social good services and maybe even mobilization. Uh, one thing that I will I'll be sharing like after this podcast is uh, definitely uh, the recent pilot that one of our interns did. So his name is Evan Fenster and I also drop his app. He's a really amazing, um, just like innovative uh expert within the nft space and um he's been working with nfts for a while but he did this um loyalty reward nft pilot um a couple months ago actually on top of cello uh for a san francisco cafe so if any of you guys are in the san francisco area and in the mission district there's a cafe called atlas coffee house and um you know throughout the pandemic like a lot of uh small businesses um like atlas um have been hit really hard you know like the regulars come less often and um, there are more stay at home orders, but, you know, they've really struggled to stay open. And and Atlas was definitely like not um, an exception. And so Evan basically created an NFT Vax rewards pilot program in where, you know, people could mint um, an NFT for like twenty five dollars and um, they could basically get like a free coffee every day for 10 days. Um, and essentially it's a steal for folks because um, a coffee is like four dollars right in san francisco let's say five dollars with like inflation yeah now it's wild get coffee and water is twelve dollars yeah (laughs) yeah and so like for 10 days that's going to cost you 50 bucks so for like half of that you could basically get like you know at at least like five coffees for you right um which is really cool and um you know one thing that really helped with having like more of this on-chain um rewards program and rewards pilot is like Atlas was really able to like increase its brand awareness. It really, you know, pushed them and from a marketing standpoint, made them seem very progressive. Um, On top of that, like uh, people were, you know, it helps you build a community. It helps you build a a contributor community, which is really awesome. Atlas has a huge like, you know, so powerful contributive instead of extractive and and atlas has um for like the mission mission neighborhood atlas is actually like the stronghold for crypto um the crypto community and so they're actually they've been hosting like crypto events irl events like for a long time and so this kind of allows um atlas to spread the word beyond san francisco get contributors beyond beyond the san francisco area and have more of a global reach um, and one of the ways that we really see this, um, you know, becoming um, kind of bigger and, and more scalable is that we definitely want to expand this to like other small businesses. I mean, Starbucks, as we've seen, like on Polygon has a has already has like a huge rewards um, program. And when you can bring that on chain, you can actually create um, new verticals um, for your business as well. Right. Like people you can basically have people um source and and propose like different type of coffee beans kind of thing and different type of products and and it's a great way to actually build um a strong user base um on top of that some of the other ways we really see this um to be more scalable is reward program like on top of the reward program for the pilot wasn't that automated like it was pretty manual right um but we really hope that as 
this goes along, like you can have a more automated reward program. You know, if you include more dynamic and composable NFTs, like as you support the small business more, you become a super contributor, or a super patron, right? And you can basically have an NFT that represents that and, and gives you access to more different types of benefits. Um, and these are kind of some of the use cases that we're seeing, like, or we're, we're really exploring, especially within the small business space, because um, they're the ones that really drive um, local community. They're the ones that are um, at the forefront of even like grassroots movements, right? As we're seeing with Atlas, like it's it's kind of the center of the crypto community um, within the mission area in San Francisco. And a lot of great ideas and a lot of great culture is also preserved there. And so that's kind of the ways in which we're seeing the effects of NFTs um, through retail models like this um, kind of go beyond the the value creation and the value generation itself. Um, and then with uh, other NFT projects on top of Celo, um, what we have like so many, um, really encourage folks to check out EQ Exchange. So EQ Exchange is a really cool NFT marketplace um, that is really dedicated to empowering musicians and rewarding fans through rare NFTs. And on top of that, like musicians can basically launch their own tokens and um, also enable fractional ownership of their NFTs. So uh, the recent uh, launch that they had was with Ashanti. Um, and they are also having an upcoming launch uh, for Purpleverse, which is going to lead to the Prince auction. So Prince has a super rare NFT and um, they EQ has gotten um, the distribution rights for that for that NFT and they will be holding an auction soon um, on their platform as well, which is really cool because Prince is a is an amazing icon. And then, um, you know, uh, some other projects that we have is plastics. So we've talked a lot about like carbon offsetting, but um, the way plastics works is that like they essentially allow companies to create a track record of their plastic offsetting. So what they do is that they um, allow companies to issue out NFT collections that have plastic recovery certificates. And basically you can track your plastic offsetting impact on chain. And um, lastly, like we have Ariswap. So Ariswap is a mobile first NFT marketplace on Celo. And um, they are doing a lot of amazing creator and community NFT programs across Africa and LATAM. And if anyone's in San Francisco, um, where they're actually hosting um, an NFT gallery that is supporting Peruvian artists um, and giving back um, a lot of the donations, a, a lot of the proceeds to them. And so um, if you're an SF and, uh, you know, you want to go check it out, like DM me and, um, you know, I can, I can kind of set it up. But um, they're a really cool marketplace um, with a lot of focus on the LATAM region and empowering LATAM artists. Um, so these are some of the projects that we are kind of nurturing within the NFT ecosystem. And um, beyond that, you know, uh, some of the some of some of this, when you're thinking about, like, how do you actually, again, like build this for mass adoption? Right. Um, there's a lot of like infrastructure pieces that we need to think of um, from uh, beyond NFTs. Like, you know, there's an on ramp off ramp piece like creators um, across like Africa, um, some are can be targeted, um, especially like it's very hard for them to get documents. It's very um, difficult for them to even put their earnings on like tax statements. And so like, how do you create like easier ways for them to hold custody of their assets and secure ways for them to ensure custody of their assets that they earn on NFT marketplaces, um, you know, on ramps and off ramps? Like, how do you create really efficient USSD solutions that are basically able to um, convert like, you know, your 
uh, CUSD and C euros into like Kenyan shillings and without that much slippage. And then like, of course, from a product standpoint, like as you mentioned, Alyssa, like there is this fine, there is almost like this dance you have to play between like making a product super frictionless for easy adoption and at the same time, like ensuring that the user is eventually empowered to become an advanced user and take ownership of their assets, right? Like move from a custodial wallet to a non-custodial wallet. One big challenge that I see is like, as we're nurturing these products within our ecosystem or, or trying to build new products and projects um, on top of Celo, like what is that balance between like ensuring frictionless onboarding and also like empowering the user with key educational resources throughout the user journey um, to make sure that they're empowered to, um, you know, become an advanced user and it become more Web3 native, right? And And become more integrated within not only the product itself, but the products across our ecosystem and ensure interact with them. So from a product, I used to be a product manager. So like, as I as I think about like the platforms within our ecosystem, like that is one one key thing that I see is going to be important to unlock like mass adoption. Yeah, that pretty much answered my question, because I was going to ask what did you think would be the necessary component for refi to kind of anchor and gain traction within the wider crypto landscape and even within the mainstream. So I wonder if success in with micro lending in Kenya is an analog to um, how, you know, like a product to market fit might work in the United States. Um, currently, you know, banks are really tight with lending and mm-hmm. interest rates are really high, uh, yet different types of people for various reasons do need access to capital. And the only collateral most of us have is our paycheck, right? Or our, our yearly income. So um, I know you talked a bit about some ideas you had for, you know, what would like catalyze mass adoption of refi products within like the sense of NFTs and also within the sense of like lending and borrowing. But for say like the United States or for global adoption, was there any one component that you think is necessary, which would kind of kick off that uh, kick off that flywheel? I think, yeah, like a lot of the use cases that I have defined are really well positioned for like emerging markets, right? Um, when I think about like the ways NFTs and refi can really kick off, like I think about real having really strong partnerships that already have like a really good brand loyalties. Let's say like Patagonia, right? And Patagonia NFTs. Like Patagonia is from my lens, like a very refi oriented brand. Um, but if they can like essentially enable NFTs um as part of their product offerings as well, like um, or if they do like an NFT launch or NFT drop with one of their upcoming collections, like I think that's a huge thing. Like they already have a huge customer base. That customer base is already onboarded. Like, you know, they they already have loyalty with their product and their value aligned. And this NFT, um, especially if it's like dynamic and composable and changes with every other purchase that you make with Patagonia and gives you access to other products and other experiences even. Like, let's like, dive away a little bit from that consumerist um, kind of mindset and maybe go more for the experiential mindset and maybe it unlocks like new experiences within the Patagonia ecosystem or the Patagonia metaverse like that's huge right like that within that 
maybe you are as you purchase a Patagonia um, jacket, gain access to the NFT um, that unlocks uh, access to other small businesses within the Patagonia ecosystem that you can support. Um, and it kind of allows you to like build this um metaverse around a, a loyalty program that is supported under the Patagonia umbrella brand. So a part of it is also partnerships and identifying like the right partners that already have like mass loyalty and mass adoption itself, because then you've solved like for that frictionless onboarding piece, right? Like because your users are already really onboarded and you're then positioning like NFTs and especially NFs, impactful social good NFTs as a value-aligned product offering to these partners um, and to their users. Um, so that's kind of how I think about, like, within the context of the U.S., something NFTs and refi-related really taking off. Mm, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm not 100% sure that this is applicable to refi, but I think it is because there's the ESG component, right? And there's the whole carbon-neutral component, and there's the element of financial social good and um you know art creation with the actual motive of achieving social good right is there a way to separate incentives from the expectation of income when it comes to refi uh, for example like when people do charity or they do a social good they're not expecting a monetary reward whereas a lot of the p2p or participate to earn type schemes in crypto always have the ulterior motive or that, which is, you know, the possibility of profit. Um, but I recycle, right. And I recycle because I'm either forced to do it or I do it because I assume it's for the greater good, but I never in my mind expect anything for recycling, no certificates, discounts, or any sort of bill or yeah, nothing. Right. So I just do it because the law says I have to, or, um, I know that it's like something that's good for the greater good of everyone in the earth. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a really big question. And honestly, it's something that keeps me up at night. <laughs> I'm gonna, if I was to be really honest. Mash, thank you for coming on. That was uh, Thank you really... for having me. Makes uh, my heart you. really full. Just, um, being able to share with you guys. Awesome. Mash, thank you again so, so much. Guys, have a beautiful and safe weekend. Have a good one. Thank you, everyone. Have a wonderful weekend. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.